my ultimate goal really in life is to help everyone on this planet become financially literate. And on top of that, right, as an exchange for the compensation for that would be to be the wealthiest man on the planet. You're listening to the Ballantine Broadcast, Conversations on Black Wealth. On this podcast, you're going to hear from black millionaires and seven plus figure business owners on their wealth building journeys, their experiences working with financial services professionals, and their thoughts on what the financial services industry can do to help close the racial wealth gap. Please be sure to listen to important disclosure information at the end of this episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the show. I'm your host, Akiva Ellis, and today I am happy to have Jeff Badu on the show. Jeff Badu is a parallel entrepreneur and wealth multiplier. He is a licensed certified public accountant and the founder and CEO of Badu Enterprises LLC, which is a multinational conglomerate that owns several key companies. His marquee company is Badu Tax Services LLC, which is a CPA firm that specializes in tax preparation, tax planning, and tax representation for individuals and businesses. Another key company is Badu Investments LLC, which is a real estate investment company that acquires residential and commercial rental real estate properties in areas like the south side of Chicago in efforts to restore traditionally underserved areas. What sparked his interest in launching these companies is his passion for helping people minimize their tax liability and ultimately multiplying their money by investing it and building multi-generational wealth. His purpose in life is to inspire and support the super hungry to take hold of infinite resources in order to create an abundant lifestyle. He's extremely passionate about financial literacy and currently hosts various financial literacy workshops throughout the country. He's a public speaker and his overall mission in life is very simple, to make a lasting positive impact in as many lives as possible, especially when it comes to their finances. Jeff, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you for having me, Akiva. Definitely appreciate it. Excited to have you. Now, you became a millionaire at age 25, I believe it was, right? Yes, that is correct. Awesome. Awesome. I I aspired to be like you one day. But we know things didn't start off like that, right? So I would love for you to tell us a bit about your background. What was your upbringing like and how did it affect your view on finances and ultimately your journey to having the financial success that you've achieved today? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, So I was born and raised in Ghana which is on the west side of Africa. And I came to the U.S. when I was eight years old. You know, um, before I came to the U.S., things were pretty good. And the thing about Ghana, the Ghanaian culture, is that we're very entrepreneurial. So basically, you might see people out on the streets, for example, selling apples, oranges, right, shoes, clothes, candies, whatever it takes to basically make ends meet. So I got exposed to that very, very early And seeing that, and also my parents being entrepreneurs, made me want to become an entrepreneur. So I was the kid that if you gave candy to, I wouldn't eat it myself. I would say thank you, and I would go out and sell it on the streets, basically. Um, So that exposed me to entrepreneurship very, very early. And then migrated to the U.S., where we won the immigration lottery. Moved uh, with my parents and also my older sister, And it was tough. We were put into a neighborhood called Uptown in Chicago. And for those that don't know Uptown, it's um, it it was basically a very, very brutal neighborhood, especially for a young child that just moved from Ghana to the United States of America. So the area was surrounded by a lot of violence, a lot of, you know, activities that you wouldn't want anybody involved with, for that matter, 
And unfortunately, some of my friends at the time were involved in some of these things. And they say, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. And that's some of the things that I, you know, myself had to, in a way, get involved with as well. You know, so um, that was a, a struggle. It was a big struggle. I did not see the light in that. But thankfully, there was a turning point in life, which was when I was 16, when I, I took a trip back to Ghana with my family, it was just a family vacation. And we basically went for about three months. And that's when I discovered my purpose in life, which is to inspire and support the super hungry to take hold of infinite resources in order to create an abundant lifestyle. So how I got to that was going back to Ghana allowed me to understand the struggle that I was seeing. So for example, I saw a lady that was carrying not one, but two babies that were wrapped around her back. And she had a huge load of apples, oranges, whatever it took to make ends meet. And I said, you know what? That's a super hungry individual. That's someone who I would love to help. That's someone who is an ideal person that I would love to basically hold their hand and allow them to take hold of the infinite resources we have on this planet in order to create an abundant as opposed to a scarcity lifestyle. So understanding that, I turned things around. I surrounded myself with new friends, people who are more like-minded. Um, I basically got a mentor who coached me throughout the process and told me what to do, what not to do in certain situations. I read half the Bible when I was 16. I tapped into my spiritual life. You know, God definitely helped me along the way. And ultimately with that, got accepted into the University of Illinois, Urbana-Champaign, where I got my bachelor's degree and my master's degree. And when I was there, I was working on a business plan called Badu Tax Services, LLC. And that basically started from scratch, right? I was able to get some clients under my belt. I was doing about an hour a day worth of research on that business plan. And anyone who I could get my hands on to do their taxes, whether it be friends, family, colleagues, whoever it was to do their taxes, I'll say, hey, I'll do your taxes, right? I'll do it for free. And some people I even had to pay for the software to do their taxes. And the reason why I did that was because I wanted to test myself to see if this was something I truly wanted to do. I believe that something you're passionate about is something you're willing to do for free, even if you're not compensated for it. So I wanted to test my passion because I knew eventually I would get paid for it if I loved doing it enough. So that was a lesson I had to learn. Fast forward, I worked at um, PricewaterhouseCoopers or PwC as an intern for that time. And then in 2015, I got my CPA, um, passed my CPA exam, started working full time for PwC, and then I eventually got my CPA license. But on September 2nd, 2016, a big moment happened. I became fed up because I was on my way to a barbecue on Labor Day, and then I got called into the office to work. And I was like, well, this is not the way to be living. And so I turned on my two-week notice, and I, on the following two weeks, I basically became a full-time entrepreneur and now own a company called Badu Enterprises LLC, which owns 12 companies such as Badu Tax Services LLC, that's the CPA firm that has over 2,000 clients across all 50 states in the U.S. And we also have clients in over 25 countries, along with Badu Investments, Badu Life and Health Solutions LLC, and also our beloved nonprofit, Badu Foundation Incorporated. Wow. So that is a lot to unpack. That yeah. 
where do I even start? There's so many great points to what you just said and so many facets of your story that I'd love to, to learn even more about. So you mentioned that both of your parents are entrepreneurs, right? What did your parents do? Yeah, so both of my parents are um, real estate developers. So they basically acquire land and they build properties on them from scratch, which is actually different from my strategy. I just buy the properties already fixed up, already prettied up and everything like that. We just make it nicer. We get it more, you know, we basically put better management in there. So yeah, my parents are both real estate developers and my my mom is also into retail, right? So that's how they became entrepreneurs. They made, migrated to the U.S., but sent the money back home to invest. And that's how they were able to build their portfolio and their wealth as well. Awesome. And so you had that entrepreneurship exposure, like you mentioned, from super early. Were there other conversations, I guess, going on in your household, specifically around, say, financial literacy or money outside of entrepreneurship? Not at all. I mean, absolutely not at all. I really didn't learn money until I was maybe, what, 20, I think I was 23. That's when I really learned about money. And mind you, I went to school for accounting, not only with a bachelor's degree, but also a master's degree. So I didn't truly learn about money, meaning how to manage my own personal funds, really until I was, you know, I was, I was deep into the game, basically, of life. Um, as far as like someone where you would expect someone to learn about money. I'd expect to learn about money when I was a kid, right? someone who's young, and that's what we created the Badu Foundation to teach the kids. So overall, yeah, no you know, financial training outside of what I learned from school, but even that was pretty limited because they didn't teach me how to manage my own finances. Right, yeah, that's a common misconception. I also went to school for accounting, you know, similar route, did the bachelor's degree, did an internship with PwC also. So I can definitely relate to a lot of your story. And it's a common misconception, right? People think, oh, well, didn't you do accounting or didn't you study finance in school? Like, shouldn't you know this stuff? And it's like, it's a totally different ball game when you're talking about corporations versus managing your own personal financial affairs. Definitely not something that they covered. So definitely, definitely agree with you. So you mentioned your wake up call really being that moment when you went back to Ghana for three months and you were observing the way that people were living and um, talking about the possibilities that people could have all over the world. You described them as the, the super hungry. So do you think that you always had a desire to become an entrepreneur, even though you started off your career in corporate, you know, working for big four accounting? Yeah, I've always had the desire to be an entrepreneur ever since I was a kid because I was exposed to it very, very early. My eyes, my two eyes saw it very, very early uh, with my parents both being entrepreneurs and then also the environment of the people around me that I was seeing who were going out, hustling, making ends meet. Um, so yeah, I've always, always known that I wanted to be an entrepreneur. And what does entrepreneurship mean to you? What was really the impetus outside of just having the exposure because people around you were entrepreneurs? Were there any other driving motivations to becoming an entrepreneur? Was it maybe the money, the freedom, a combination of different things? Tell me more about that. Yeah, I mean, I would say as an entrepreneur, I am free. I mean, I get to choose my own schedule. I still work from home to this day, you know, so I'm able to do as I, as I please, basically. And also an entrepreneur is someone who makes an impact, a massive impact, someone who has a grand challenge that they would like to solve on this planet. For me, it's financial illiteracy. And I have the grand solution, which is financial literacy, 
right? So for me, it's all about the impact. But you're right, entrepreneurship does come with its perks, like the freedom, the ability to choose whenever you want to work. Um, you just have to really figure it out. You have to make the schedule right. So yeah, you can make your own schedule, but if you're putting the right, the wrong things in the schedule, what does that really mean? You know. So I would say for me, those are the main reasons why I decided to become an entrepreneur. Awesome. So did you decide right then and there that you wanted to become a millionaire? Like, did you have a concrete goal of, I want to become a millionaire by 25? Or like, how did that happen? I mean, my goal on the planet was always to be the wealthiest man on the planet. Right. So the millionaire thing was something that I wrote back in college. So when I was a freshman at the U of I, I just said, I want to write a book called How to Become a Millionaire, which I actually did in 20, um, 2020, actually. I actually released a book called Seven Figures, How to Become a Millionaire. It was actually written in 2019, released in 2020. So it, it definitely was something I've always had to, you know, had as a goal, but I knew that wasn't the end goal. I knew just becoming a millionaire, it's great, it looks nice, but there, there's a lot more that can be done. So for me, it's not, yes, I mean, money does play a big role in everything that we do. For me, it's more about the impact. Are you making an impact to impact a million lives or a billion lives, and then you're gonna get compensated for that. So my ultimate goal really in life is to help everyone on this planet become financially literate. And on top of that, right, as an exchange for the compensation for that would be to be the wealthiest man on the planet. Awesome. So you mentioned mentorship also as part of your journey and part of your story. Tell me more about that. What was that process like? Did you intentionally go out and say, I want to seek out a mentor? Did someone kind of take you under their wing? What was that process like? And also, what were the types of topics that you discussed or that you learned with your mentor? Yeah, great question. So this mentor was actually my youth leader in church. So she was the one that coached our, our youth, you know, that attended the church. We would meet up every Sunday and also throughout the week. So she was already someone that was there. I just never took advantage of that resource. Um, sometimes you don't really see, your two eyes don't really see certain things. Um, so basically, it was, it was pretty easy. I just went up to her and said, hey, you know, I came, just came back from Ghana. I learned a lot and I would like to show me a better way to do things. Fortunately for her, she had already gone through something similar that I went through and was able to get out of that environment. So I was asking her questions like, what did you do? How did you disassociate yourself with the friends that you were with? Uh, what activities did you start getting involved with? What friends did you start surrounding yourself with? You know, so I just asked questions. I asked questions and then through the, the church um, services, right? So we were actually not in the main like congregation. We were always in the youth area where we would be taught by the mentor herself. You know, so we had different activities. We would have to run suicides, right? On, on um, basically we have Montrose Beach, which is in Chicago. So we had to do certain exercises to test your resilience, to test your heart a bit. And then we also, also had to uh, read the Bible. We had Bible studies, you know. So it for me, it was already there, thankfully. It wasn't like, hey, I have to go to a stranger and say, hey, will you be my mentor? I think mentorship is just something that develops over time. It's a relationship that, that evolves. So for me now, I have mentors that coach me in business and also in life. For example, I have one that coaches me on the 12 practices of business and also the 12 practices of life. 
And that has helped me tremendously in living a more fulfilled lifestyle while also making an impact in the businesses and society as a whole. Awesome. So what are some lessons that you say you've learned on your entrepreneurship or personal wealth building journey that you'd like to share? Absolutely. I've learned a ton. Um, I mean, I, I can I can be here all day. We can be here for three hours plus. I got time. I got time. <laughs> <laughs> I would say first thing, don't go at it alone. Hire the experts, especially when you need them. So make sure you get an attorney on your team, a marketing specialist. These are people that tend to know more than you in those fields. So try to, if anything, you don't have to hire them full on in the beginning. At least talk to someone, right? Attend a webinar. Do something that's going to take you to the next level because you are the master of your own craft, right? You're the master of your own craft. So if you bake cake, you're good at cake. That's what you're good at. But you're not good at accounting. You're not good at law. So why not hire somebody to fill that gap so that they can help you in those areas? They can fill those gaps for you. So that's the first thing. Please try your best to hire the experts early. Not when you're deep into the business. Not you know. Try to bring them on early. Another thing I've learned is that money needs to be working harder than you do. So your money should be working harder than you do. So what does that mean? Try to invest your money into different places. For me, real estate tends to be the one. For example, you can buy your first property with as little as 3.5% down payment, and you can even get the government to subsidize that down payment for you um, in full. They have programs that's available out there. You know, For example, in Chicago, we have the NACA program, the NACA. We also have the IHDA. You know, so these are programs you can take advantage of that allow you to invest money, either your money or the government's money, into a property that allows you to get up to a four-unit building with as little as 3.5% down payment. Then I would also say you can maybe you're say, okay, well, I'm not ready for real estate yet. Well, what about learning about the stock market? You don't have to know a ton about it, right? But you just have to know a little bit to be dangerous and start investing. Maybe take a class about investing. And for me, I've actually created a website called jeffbadu.com that has a lot of free resources on there, including my books, including courses. And then I have you know free articles, free videos, free audio books, right? And all the things that you need to grow your money. So if I could share those two lessons, it would be don't go at it alone, right? And then secondly, try to make your money work for you. So remember, there's a ton of lessons that I could share, but if I could pick two, those would be the two right there. Awesome. Awesome. So I also read that you recently got married. Is that right? That is right. That is awesome. Correct. And your spouse, <laughs> does she work with you in the business as well? Yeah. So my, my beautiful wife, her name is Yvonne. She's actually the co-founder and CEO of our life insurance company, Badu Life and Health Solutions, LLC. And then she's also the vice president of the Badu Foundation, our nonprofit for the kids, where we teach them about financial literacy. And she's also a registered nurse, you know, um, so she does. She definitely does a lot. She has a lot on her plate. She's a great person, great support system. And she definitely has, um, without her, I would say it would be a big struggle in life right now. Yeah, I was going to say, it sounds like she has all the time in the world on her hands these days. <laughs> that is awesome. So if you don't mind sharing just a little bit more about the 
the power of partnership when you're going through this and just more of the influence that your now spouse has been in growing your wealth and growing your business and any lessons that you've learned through that as well that you like to share? Yeah, I would say, I mean, before Yvonne, I was pretty much a workaholic. I mean, I still am a workaholic, but I'm less of a workaholic. So she taught me balance, right? So I used to be the guy that would wake up at about 6 a.m. and I would go to bed at like 1 to 2 a.m which is not the way to be living. So the moment she came in, I was able to find more balance. Okay, wake up at 7 a.m. and instead shut, up, shut things off by 7 p.m. at the latest, right? That way from 7 p.m. to 7 a.m., you're allowed to basically do whatever. So that's the, that's the, the schedule I actually go based off. From 7 a.m. to 7 p.m., I'm grinding Monday through Friday. It's all grind. Yeah, there's some breaks in between or there's lunch is getting ready for the day and everything like that. But from 7 p.m. to 7 a.m., it's straight, just fun, leisure, sleeping. I still get, you know, I get eight hours of sleep nowadays. So she's definitely taught me more balance in life. She's taught me that there are more important things in life than just work and business. Although the business that we do, right, it's basically, is something that we're passionate about. It's part of my purpose in life. So. In general, a partner allows you to see things that you may have not seen in the past. Um, hopefully, a partner is making you a better person. A partner is making you a more spiritual person, a more faithful person. So Yvonne and I were actually in a choir together. That's how we actually met. Um, we read the Bible together. We pray together. And she's also a great person who advises us on the business side. Right. Um, she She's someone who people tend to respect when especially when she's next to me, because like, wow, this is a power couple. You know, these are two people on the same page talking about money and just talking about a better way to live life. So I would say overall, without her as a partner, I mean, it's things might have been decent. It, it might have been OK, but she's definitely made things much better in my life, I would say. That is awesome. I love to hear it. I love to see it. Yvonne sounds a lot like my husband. He was kind of the balance for me in that sense as well. So I, I love that. I love that. And I definitely believe in the impact, the powerful impact that that partnership can have in not only like life and business and other facets as well. So that is awesome. So I know you have big plans. I know one of your goals is to become a billionaire by 40, right? You put a number on it. I know you want to become the mm -hmm. richest man in the, on the planet, but becoming a billionaire by, billionaire by 40 is one of your goals. So mm -hmm. how do you plan to get there at this point? Yeah, great question. Um, a wise man once told me, if you want to become a billionaire, find a way to impact a billion lives, right? So I plan, that's exactly what I plan to do. I plan to impact a billion people. I plan to reach out to more people Right. We plan to, our marketing team plans to market to more people. Our sales team plans to talk to more of our clients to help engage them in services. The thing about money is that you can only truly receive it when you get value for it. So if you don't get value for the money, you're not, you're not going to receive the money. You're not going to receive your fair share of that. So for me, it's not just about the billions. It's not just about the millions. It's about what impact am I making on this planet? to even deserve that compensation. Money to me is just a compensation. It's just something that's a reward for the impact that I'm making. So how do I plan to get to a billion dollars? I plan to impact more people. So we plan to our outreach instead of a million people, be a billion people. 
right? So my radio show, for example, reaches 2 million people every time I speak. Well, I want to reach out to 2 billion people. That way more people are getting the information. And then if those people see value, they would engage in my service. What does that also mean? That means I need a bigger team. So I need to expand my team so that they can service these people in the right and appropriate manner. And last but not least, I need to make that money that I'm making work for me. I need to buy more real estate, so acquire more rental properties. I need to get my money more into the market, whether it be the stock market, insurance, whatever it is. So that's how I plan to do it. I plan to create more value for more people. And then the value, the compensation that I do receive in exchange, I plan to reinvest it so that it can work harder for me than I work harder for it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. So you also mentioned your foundation that you have. Tell me more about that and what specifically it is that you all do with the foundation and the role that philanthropy has played in your life in general. Yeah. So the Body Foundation was created um, right during the COVID-19 pandemic, (laughs) ironically. It was created April of 2020. And basically with that, we teach kids, um, students about financial literacy. These are students who are ages six through 18 from underserved communities, um, you know, such as the South side of Chicago. And what we do is we teach them on budgeting, saving, investing, and scholarships. So this year, um, for, for example, for 2021, we had 20, um, I'm sorry, 30 students. And then for 2022, we plan to have a hundred students and then we keep, we want to keep expanding that from there on. The nice thing about the program, all 30 students receive a scholarship a $500 scholarship that goes towards um, college, or if they want to start a business, they can use that money for that as well. So we're teaching kids about financial literacy. It's a four week program where they sit through a Zoom for two hours each Saturday, and they're just learning about money. We have guest speakers, we go through exercises, we play games like Cash Flow by Robert Kiyosaki, Mr. Rich Dad Poor Dad, who's someone who definitely changed my life for the better. Um, so that's what we do. Basically, we teach kids about financial literacy and we're always looking to help them grow. We reach out to them at least a few times throughout the year. And then when we do have an event, we believe they would benefit from, we send them an invitation to that event so that they can attend, learn the information. Um, so that's pretty much what Badu Foundation does in a nutshell. And I would say philanthropy has done a lot for me. It's made me see more about what it is that I need to do. And what I need to do is I need to provide value to society if I want to be compensated for it, or even if I'm not compensated for it, I'm at least making an impact that will make someone's life much better than it is today. Awesome. You are doing such great and necessary work. So I'm glad to hear all of this. So let's switch gears a little bit. So now that you've achieved this level of financial success, and I know you still have a ways to go in terms of your own Mm -hmm. financial goals. Would you say that you face any unique challenges as a black wealth holder? I mean, usually I don't like to use race as a, you know, one thing that I always like to do for me personally, you know, I wrote a book called Infinite Expansion, How to Infinitely Expand Your Vision of Abundance. And one thing I put in the book is in life, there are no excuses. Right? No excuses about time, nor about money. And for me, I always understand that race does play a part in certain things. Right, There might be certain opportunities that may be slightly closed because of the color of your skin. So as a black wealth builder, I mean, you might not be taking it seriously when you walk into certain rooms. 
So what you have to do is, first of all, you have to make people see the value. How do you make people see the value? You have to make sure that whatever it is you're saying, that you're backing it up with facts or backing it up with research so that when those people start hearing, like, whoa, okay, okay, the color of his skin is, is black, right? But look at the information that he's given. Maybe I do need to be listening. So in general, some people, right, it, it might close certain doors for them. So it might just impact less people. But to one who adores closed, one becomes open. So then maybe an opportunity becomes open for someone who looks like myself, who may be like, oh, okay, well, I value this opportunity. This is something that I probably should take advantage of. And I wish we had more of that because people that look like me don't tend to be people that seeking out financial information or financial literacy, which really, really shocks me due to our history, due to our past, due to the lack of resources that we used to have in the past. And now that resources are opening up, people like myself are teaching financial literacy. It's like, man, you know, five people show up to an event. And I'm like, well, if we were talking about, you know, soap opera, we were talking about Cardi B versus, you know, um, a certain artist. I mean, there'll be much be more people that shows up. And so when I hear something like that, when I see that, it really, really shocks me. And in a way, it kind of offends you a bit because it's like you really, really want to help people. But you can't really help someone if they don't want to be helped. So long story short, it might like being a black, you know, male, a black wealth builder might put you in a way where it's like, okay, they see the color of your skin. They might not see you as credible in certain rooms. But when you walk in a different room, you might be viewed as credible in that room. So although it closes doors in some areas, I think it's going to open doors in other areas as well. So I know that you work in financial services. Of course, you have your own tax service business, among other services. Have you worked with financial professionals of your own? I know you talked about having you know, your team around you earlier, but in your personal finances, have you worked with financial professionals of your own, whether that's a financial planner or advisor, your own CPA, attorney, insurance agent, et cetera? And how have those experiences been for you? Yeah, I mean, I've, when I started, at least, I, I started with a um, financial advisor who was able to give me set up and help me understand the value of permanent life insurance, for example, which I knew nothing about when I started. I, I, I never knew you can build wealth through insurance. Um, so he was able to teach me, right, educate me when it comes to the insurance side of things. I have an attorney who assists me in getting legal documents set up. Right, things that I wouldn't be able to do on my own, setting up trust, setting up estates, you know, or, or an estate plan. Um, so things that I'm not an expert in, I always seek counsel from people that are. But when I was getting started, I was seeking counsel from everybody, CPAs, you know, um, bookkeepers, financial advisors, insurance agents. I was soaking up as much information I could and basically with that, I was comparing and contrasting, okay, you know, so-and-so is saying this, so-and-so is saying this. Well, what is really it? So let me go out and do some research. Let me go out and educate myself when it comes to these topics. So I think working with professionals allows you to be more educated, although people can have their own biased opinions, which can overshadow the truth, you know. So you do also have to take it with a grain of salt. And for me, that's why I created a website called jeffbadu.com so that you can get all this information on one page, right? One page 
information. I'm talking over 10,000 plus hours or so of research that's been done on these topics. I mean, I've spent a lot of time like gathering this data and it's from different sources. It's from people who are very, very famous and it's from people who are up and coming. It's from people who've been in the financial game for 20 plus years. So overall, I would say you do have to be careful in where you get your advice. But at the same time, don't be closed-minded when it comes to getting extra help from the people who you believe will have that help. Okay, so speaking of the people who you believe will give you that help, what are some of the things that you looked for when you were either seeking to hire or work with or consult with any of these financial professionals? Were there certain values, demographics, characteristics, anything like that that you specifically looked for in hiring financial professionals to work with? Yeah, I would say the same way that we analyze those folks, the same way we analyze our team and we look at our core values, right? Is, um, is this somebody who I can trust, first of all? So they have to be someone who's trustworthy. How do you figure out if they're trustworthy? You have a real conversation with them about how it is that they handle their money, right? So I asked them, well, how are you handling your money? I know you give me advice about this, but how are you handling stuff on your own? If you're telling me to buy real estate, do you own real estate yourself? So I, you know, I'm also a big thing about practice what you preach. If you're not practicing what you preach, then why are you preaching that thing? You know, so that basically, those are the types of questions I was asking them. Hey, can you tell me about your financial plan? Right? Can you tell me about your estate plan? I want to know, right? And I know you might not be comfortable sharing, but if you can, that would be great so that I can make a more informed decision. So in general, I think trust is the number one thing. And then in general, you know, you have reviews. You can go online and look people up, see what type of reviews there are, see what type of um, publication, see, just see what's out there about them. Nowadays, everything is online, basically. We live in the Internet, you know, essentially. So trust is definitely a big thing um, and then credibility. And then maybe what type of experience? Who have they actually worked with in the past? Have they worked with someone myself who's a real estate investor, who's into a lot of different things, a parallel entrepreneur? Um, so it, it really depends, right? But if anything, make sure it's someone who you can trust and have a real conversation with. Awesome. And would you say there are any other characteristics that you look for outside of those things? Or does it really come down to those few things? I mean, yeah, there, there could be some more. There could be some more stuff. You know, um, it could be, okay, how is this person paid? Are they just paid when they sell you a product or are they paid just for giving you the advice? And for me, I can get paid on either way. I can get paid on the advice itself, which is most likely how people pay me or on the products and the, you know, on, on the product itself. So basically how they get paid is also something that you can look at and that determines what they're motivated by, right? Are they just pushing one thing because they're paid more for that one thing? Or are they genuinely in it for my best interest? So, I mean, I, I would say I, I can't think of anything else that I would, you know, consider when it comes to that. I think it all develops over time and you'll make the decision as to whether you can trust this person or not. Got it. So you are not only a millionaire, but you also teach and speak on financial literacy as well, as we've discussed. Mm -hmm. So what do you think both from the wealth holder, wealth builder perspective, but also from someone who teaches and speaks on these things, what should financial professionals know when working or seeking to work specifically with black wealthy clients? Um, I mean, I think what they should know is 
for one, when you're speaking with a a black wealthy client, you got to know your stuff. Like you can't just come in there and look, you know, look discombobulated, basically. Like you got to know your stuff. You have to dress right, dress presentable. Be be someone who's presentable, um, and know that they're gonna do some research on you. Like they're actually gonna go online. So you might want to have a good online presence. If you have a bad online presence, you might want to correct that before you speak to someone who's, you know, who's wealthy. Um, also, try to be relatable, right? Try to be someone who is not just in it for the money, but you're genuinely trying to build a relationship and you're someone who can relate. So they say, hey, they like playing golf. Well, maybe you like playing golf too. Well, maybe something that you might want to mention during that meeting. So try to be relatable. Um, and then don't try to be too salesy because these are already wealthy folks anyway. So they're not, they, they'll, they'll pay you whatever you deserve, right? But that's if you deserve it. So I would say if you're looking to attract someone who's a black wealthy individual and provide them with services, they have to view you as someone of value. If they don't view you as a valuable individual, then they're not going to give you the money to do whatever it is that they need you to do. So all in all, I would say always make sure you're presentable. Make, make sure you look the part, right? Make sure you look the part. Um, you don't have to fake anything or anything like that. Know what you're talking about. And then try your best to provide an insane amount of value. Like what can I offer this person that they, can't, that they don't already know themselves or can't already go out and find it out elsewhere? So if anything, you have to have a competitive advantage of why you are the best person for whatever it is that you're pitching to. My last question I would love mm -hmm. to know, in your opinion, what can the financial services industry do to help close the racial wealth gap? Um, that's a great question. Honestly, it's I feel like that that one is a two way street a bit in that the professionals I feel are doing a lot like to educate people. But the people we're trying to educate tend to be at home watching TV, you know, they just don't value whatever it is that we're looking to say. Um, so what can they do really? I mean, you can always promote more, right? You can always post more flyers. You can always talk to more Instagram models to post your stuff and get your, get your, get your um, event out there even more, like promote it even more. And then generally just host more events where people can basically make it easily accessible. So maybe do Zoom, maybe do a, um, a phone conference. I know nowadays with COVID-19, there's not a whole lot of in-person stuff. So you have to be considerate of the environment that you're in. Maybe when we're in an in-person environment, then you start hosting in-person events. So overall, I think that what we can do is we can host more events. We can make it accessible, so you know, not charging like a hefty price or just make it free in general. And then have good marketing, so catchy marketing. Say, hey, how, how can you make millions in retirement? Right? Imagine a world filled with abundance. Right? Make titles that will draw somebody's attention and not just say how to build wealth through life insurance or how to build wealth through real estate. You know, just, just make it something that's catchy. There is a time and a place for those sort of titles, right? But I mean, honestly, <clears throat> I don't think there's a ton that can be done. But if, if anything, I think we could do better marketing. 
and we could be hosting more events. And lastly, we can collaborate more. So we can have different people that have different networks. We can bring them all together. We'll speak to them as a group, you know, and then basically when we're speaking to them as a group, then we'll reach more people and then our information can be spread in different ways, essentially. Great. So in your opinion, education is really the way that you see financial professionals being able to really help close the racial wealth gap. I think so, for sure, for sure. Awesome. Well, Jeff, this has been such a pleasure. And please, before we go, tell our listeners where they can keep up with you. Yeah, definitely. I would say definitely appreciate you for having me today, Kiva. It's always a pleasure. Um, if you want to reach me, best places go to my website, which is jeffbadu.com. Once again, that's jeffbadu.com, J-E-F-F-B-A-D-U.com. Um, it has a lot of financial resources on there, right? most of which are free. It has a contact me section. You can contact me directly. I do respond to all those emails. You can also email me at jeffbadu at gmail.com, or you can call me at 773-819-5675. Once again, that's 773-819-5675. My Twitter and Instagram are at jbadu, J-B-A-D-U 32. Once again, that's at jbadu 32. So jeffbadu.com would be the best place to reach me. Although you can also reach me via email, phone, or on social media. I love it. I love it. I love how accessible you make yourself also. And I can vouch personally for his responsiveness to your emails and messages. So if you're interested in learning more about Jeff or connecting with him, definitely reach out. This has been so much fun. Thank you so much for joining me today, Jeff. Absolutely. Thank you, Kiva. The previous presentation from Ballantine Partners was intended for general information purposes only. Our podcast guest is not an employee nor an affiliate of Ballantine Partners. Their remarks did not necessarily reflect Ballantine's opinions or positions. No portion of the presentation serves as the receipt of or as a substitute for personalized investment advice from Ballantine or from any other investment professional of your choosing. Different types of investments involve varying degrees of risk, and it should not be assumed that future performance of any specific investment or investment strategy or any non-investment related discussion or content will be profitable, be suitable for your portfolio or individual situation, or prove successful. A copy of Ballantine's current written disclosure brochure discussing our advisory services and fees is available upon request or at www.ballantinepartners.com. Please remember, Past performance may not be indicative of future results. Ballantine is neither a law firm nor a certified public accounting firm, and no portion of its services should be construed as legal or accounting advice. Please also remember, if you are a Ballantine client, please contact Ballantine in writing if there are any changes in your personal or financial situation or investment objectives for the purpose of reviewing, evaluating, or revising our previous recommendations and or services, or if you'd like to impose, add, or to modify any reasonable restrictions to our investment advisory services. Unless and until you notify us in writing to the contrary, we will continue to provide services as we do currently.